All right, everybody, welcome to the Bike Lab podcast. Uh, we're doing staff interviews for our next couple of uh, episodes. Uh, last time we had a chance to hear from Dustin Warren. He's been around the community for a while. And today I'm excited to talk with uh, Mr. Zachary, who is uh, newer to the community, especially when it comes to the bike world. But um, Zach, say hi, everybody. What's up, everybody? Um <laughs> I say fairly new to the bike world, even more new to the Oklahoma bike world. Oklahoma uh, bike world, yeah. Been in the bike world for coming up on eight years now. Um, yeah, eight years now, so still fairly new in the general scope of things, and even more so in the Oklahoma scene is, I guess, technically July would be my start. Yeah. July or August of last year. So uh, looking at your, I mean, you started Louisiana, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and- Baton Rouge. So what first got you to want to work in a bike shop? What was the thing that kind of triggered that? Um, I was just transitioning back to firefighting after taking a year off to move to North Carolina. Um, me and a friend of mine were living in Baton Rouge. We were working at Five Guys. Uh, we decided to go check out the local bike shop after the first day we moved into our new house in mm. Baton Rouge. I uh, went and checked out the local bike shop. Because uh, we were both BMX riders when we were growing up. So we went and bought BMX bikes and instantly became friends with the people at the shop. They told us, you know, where to ride, uh, anything we needed help with, they were super helpful with. And so we started going in there pretty often. And then... Uh, is there a pretty good, like, is it skate park or more freestyle BMX in Baton Rouge? Like, where did you connect s- with Skate people? park. Skate park? Yeah. Um the three main things are like skate park, the LSU campus, and downtown. So okay. a lot of street riding. Yeah. Um, but we just started going in there, and I was firefighting, so I had a lot of time off, working a 24-hour on, 48 off. So on my days off, I was hanging out there so much that I was like, hey, y'all need part-time help. I'll just yeah. sweep the floors or something. Yeah. And so that started that, and after, honestly, a few weeks, months of working there part-time, I started you know, learning how to wrench, started helping the manager with little management duties because I had management background from food and hospitality. Um, and it just snowballed from there. I uh, I fell in love with bikes of all disciplines after yeah. that. And then I uh, left my firefighting career to go full-time in the bike world. Huh. So um, making that transition, you know, liking bikes and liking to work in a bike shop, those are two different things. Correct. Correct. So when it comes to working in the bike shop, obviously you're around bikes a lot, but working in the bike shop, what was it that, what was it that reeled you in? Um, probably the camaraderie. Um, I worked in automotive shop, uh, for a little bit. I worked as a outboard motor mechanic in a boat shop. I did different things here and there, like in a shop setting, but none of them really had like the camaraderie that I found in bike shops. Mm-hmm. Um, in all the shops I worked for, even the ones that were, I guess you'd say my least favorite of the shops, they were still better than any other job I've ever had. Mm. Uh, the camaraderie, just being around like-minded people, um, especially here in Oklahoma, I found that it's more of a home for me, I feel like, because in Louisiana, the cycling scene is very small and it's very niche, so it's hard to find uh, people, you know, with... Is it close to Is it more like performance cycling, like road, roadies and mountain bike? It's mostly roadies, yeah. um, but it's still not near as big as here, so mm-hmm. there's 
there's not as many like I guess enthusiasts and people that take it as seriously. It's just gotcha. like a little hobby they might pick up here and there. Yeah. Um, but I just I fell in love with it, and once I started riding bikes more, I fell in love with riding bikes. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it was kind of the shop. I fell in love with the shop aspect first, and then fell in love with riding bikes after. Yeah, especially outside of that that BMX stuff yeah. of riding. So, what were the different shops you worked at? Like, what what were your experiences like there in, in, in Baton Rouge before you found yourself here in Oklahoma City? Um, so my first shop I worked at was Capital Cyclery at Jones Creek in Baton Rouge. Um, I worked there part time um, for a few months, and then I went full time at that shop for a little bit. Um, so I worked at that shop for maybe a year and a half, two years. Um, I moved to New Orleans and worked at GNO Cyclery for six months and learned a lot there. Really liked that shop. Um, that's whenever I hurt my knee pretty badly, and I was working as a pedicab rider as well. Mm. And that was what was paying my rent and my bills. Right. Uh, so I hurt my knee riding BMX and I had to move back out of New Orleans just because it's a high cost of living and I was yeah. out of work. Um, so I went back to Baton Rouge and went to work for another shop, same company, Capital Cycling, but a different location, okay. uh, which was more so the like roadie performance base opposed to the BMX style shop yeah. of the first one. Yeah. Um, worked there for like a year and a half, two years. Uh, worked as mechanic, sales team lead, um, kind of an assistant manager, key holder there, and learned a lot under Clayton, who was my manager. I uh, worked there for some time, and then I uh, left right around COVID uh, mm-hmm. to take over at uh, Front Yard Bikes in uh, Mid-City, the nonprofit shop I worked for through yeah. COVID, and then took some time off mm-hmm. when I moved here and ended up here at Bike Lab. Now, I, as I've interacted with you, that I feel like you have a real passion for the nonprofit, uh, typical kind of co-op situation mm-hmm. for bikes in different cities but explain like at the nonprofit, what did that look like what were you doing there so the nonprofit, um the nonprofit organization was called front yard bikes um it started with the director literally just fixing his bike in his front yard and neighborhood kids came by and were like hey can you help me with mine and he's mm-hmm. like i'll show you how to do it and it became a weekly thing um and then Front Yard Bikes purchased a small bike shop that was in Baton Rouge that was kind of dying called Mid-City Bikes. Mm -hmm. And that operated as a full retail space. Um, It was a 501c3 nonprofit, but still a retail space. So just trying to generate funds for the program to put back the program. Right. So my job was taking over there as the general manager, Mm -hmm. um, you know, being in charge of inventory, ordering, payroll, Really just everything top to bottom, even having to be the overseeing eye for the mechanics, um, as well as training new mechanics, because it was a kind of after school or weekend job program for the kids that went through our program. They could come intern at the retail shops. Oh, so you got a chance to like help people get started just on pitching on bikes. Yeah. So generally they knew they would go through the mechanic class in the program. And then once they graduated that, they would come to me and I would kind of dial in some of their skills, teach them work skills, timeliness, you know, just kind of how to have a job. Because mm-hmm. some of these kids are as young as 13, 14 years old. Um, then, you know, some as old as 22, 23 that worked for me. 
uh, but they all went through that program and graduated that program mm. and then came to work at the shop and kind of learned those first job skills. That's that's a really cool. I didn't know that part. I didn't know that part of the story. That's It's yeah. cool to be able to help someone have their first work experience also be around something that's technical, yeah. but also like a passion because they like riding bikes and everything mm-hmm. else. Yeah, it was... Uh, Honestly, I still keep up with them to this day, and I still try and check in as much as possible and share what they share on Instagram and Facebook because um, it's just it's an awesome program. Yeah, um, it's Dustin Lafont has done an amazing job down there uh, as a leader to those kids, mm-hmm. just building a beautiful program yeah. and doing a lot for the bicycle community mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know looking towards the future of bicycling in Baton Rouge. Yeah, uh, so you know I learned a lot under them, and I'm thankful for my time there. But it sounds like you have different, like mechanical things you've enjoyed too. Like I know you have a you're one, you're my homie. Fist bump real quick. Or also rides a motorcycle to work. Um, I've seen your car up here, which is a badass car. I love it. Um, so car guy, motorcycle guy, bicycle guy. Like what is, what do those worlds look like for you and how you engage with stuff? Like, are you just a motorhead, a gearhead? I guess I guess you could say that. Um, my dad was kind of a motorhead. Uh, before I was born, he kind of got out of it once I was born. But I know he grew up, you know, building drag racing cars in the 70s, and he was a big car guy. Um, he worked as a mechanic on large machinery, so growing up, we were always tinkering with something. He kind of taught me, I wouldn't say everything I know, but how to learn what I need to know. Or how to approach um, the problem. Yeah, how to approach yeah. the problem and try and solve them. Um, so I grew up tinkering with, you know, four-wheelers, uh, golf carts, uh, car engines, boats, everything. So I've always been kind of around that. And then, you know, I grew up liking cars, got into the car scene, met a lot of friends through that. Um, that's how I met the friend who got me into bikes hmm. through our Subarus. Um, okay. Grew up loving motorcycles, really just anything with two wheels yeah. um, or four even. Um, so I've just always liked things that can go fast on, I guess, to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or even just, you know, have fun on Just have fun on Yeah. Well, what, is, what car do you have? What's your... Um, it's a 1967 Plymouth Barracuda. Yeah. Uh, fastback. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a it's a fun car. It's, it's a fun car. It's like, a workout to you drive. Ta- you, ta- you talked about, like, I had this car I'm going to bring up sometime. You brought it up. I was like, shit, this thing's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, that, that was my mom's dream car. I've never been a big... I used to be, but I'm not a big, you know, classic muscle guy or classic yeah. American car guy. But my mom's always wanted that car mm-hmm. my whole life. Um, so after my dad passed, you know, she was looking into getting that. And I kind of went in with her like, hey, let's let's make this happen. Let's make it happen, yeah. You've wanted this your whole life. Yeah. Um, I'll, you know, basically, instead of getting any type of inheritance after my dad passed, I put it all towards that car yeah. uh, for her because, you know, that'll be mine. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's been fun. Uh, I don't drive it as much as I should. I need to do some work to it, but... I have a... My my uh, father was one of four. Uh, and there's two older kids and two younger kids. And he was the oldest of the two younger kids. He had his youngest brother, Uncle Kenny. Now, Uncle Kenny was a car guy, motorcycle guy. Like, would be doing dirt bike wheelies all the way down there street <laughs> uh, and he had a 77 or 78 chevelle that had the rally stripes so it was mm-hmm. yellow and black unfortunately he passed away when he was like 22 um 
But he loved his car so much, like when he had senior photos taken for high school, it was with his car. Oh, yeah. So my dream car right now is saving up. If I was going to get a car that would be something like that, it'd be a Chevelle with those rally stripes. I'm not even going to tell my dad about it. And I just want to roll up and say, hey, let's go for a ride kind of thing. That's good. Yeah, because it's that family kind of connection as well that kind of pulls it in a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's what made me fall in love with the car. I mean, it's a pretty car. Yeah. But it's never been like my dream thing, but... Seeing how much my mom loves it and how much she's been able to do because of it. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, back home in Louisiana, her and my dad lived middle of nowhere. Not much to do around there. Uh, she didn't really get a chance to do what she wanted mm. and kind of live her life. Yeah. Um, and now she's going to be 70 years old soon and she's living living her life. Yeah. She's on early times. And- yeah. Going to car shows and things. And that's what we've really bonded on here is going to like cars and coffee, go oh, yeah. car meets with uh, the Barracuda and she's joined car clubs. And now is like the president. And OKC so. has a huge, yeah. it's like a nationally recognized car scene for sure. Yeah, it, it definitely is. That's it's, cool. It's surprising how big all those scenes are here for me. So like the bike scene, the yeah. car scene, the motorcycle scene, they've yeah. all been massive compared to, you know, new Orleans and Baton Rouge areas. Mm. Well, when it comes to bicycles, what would you say the styles of riding? I mean, we heard about BMX, but what other styles of riding have you kind of jumped into and really enjoyed? Um, honestly, all of them. Um, I got into mountain biking pretty quickly after the BMX. That was my first non-BMX bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, got into road riding um, shortly after that. Uh, then it was fixed gear track bikes. Um, gravel riding. Um, honestly, there's, I don't know of any disciplines that I don't love. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if I had to pick a favorite, I'd probably say it's, I'm more drawn to mountain biking, but mm-hmm. I get just as excited for a good road ride yeah. or just booze cruising with the friends yeah. and, you know, hide and go bike. Hide and go bike. I was going to get to hide and go bike too. Yeah. So you, I, well, one of the things I uh, I started, I've gone to hide and go back a couple of times, but this last year I started going consistently because I'm just, I'm kind of blown away by its uh, cultural mm-hmm. element as well as it being around bikes. Um, but I remember you talking one time that when you first moved to Oklahoma, you weren't such a fan of it. Not at all. No. <laughs> I will. So like, but you, but you mentioned how hide and go bike, it kind of changed your mind about what it meant to be in Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. in Oklahoma, riding bikes, connecting with people. So how do you even find Hide Go Bike and start going to it? Because um, it's only an Instagram account. Yeah. You can't, like, search up Hide and Go Bike and find anything other than an Instagram account. And every week, the, the ride plans aren't yep. put on a post. They're usually put in just a story that disappears in 24 hours. Yeah. So it's not the easiest thing to find. Yeah. Um, I moved here and met... A friend of mine, uh, pretty soon after moving here, and when we first met, we were just talking, and she was like, oh, you know, what are you into, all this? And I was like, oh, you know, pretty big into riding bikes. And she was like, oh, there's an Instagram account. It's an Instagram game that they play. Oh, you know about the group ride. Yeah. She's like, called Hide and Go Bike. And I was like, okay. So I followed it, and I was looking at the post for the game, and I was like, okay, it looks kind of cool, but I don't want to just go out there and ride by myself or anything. Yeah, yeah. It, it was cool, but it wasn't. It didn't really draw to me. And then I saw the post about the group ride and everything, and I was like, "That's kind of interesting." So I knew about it for months, and then finally one day I decided, "Hey, I'm just going to go out and do it." And as soon as I pulled up, I saw there's a pretty decent 
crowd of people. I saw like 20 or 30 people and I was blown away. Yeah. Uh, and I got there early. Yeah. Um, then the ride rolled out and I remember Danny announcing, he's like, oh, we have over 100 tonight. And I thought that was just the wildest thing I've ever it's, seen. It's wild. Yeah. Especially like, because they always say like 6, 6.30, right? So you get there like 6, there's like 10 people. Yeah. And up until like 6.25, there might be 40 people. But in those last five minutes, it's like it come, like people like come up out of the ground. Yeah. And then you roll out, and it's like three blocks long. Yep. Of people on every kind of bike imaginable. I always say, so Thursday nights are a bad time to try and drive through the city. But, but also, like, it's a good advocacy for mm-hmm. cycling, right? Like, that's what I really loved about it is it makes everyone who's on the ride feel like I can actually ride in my city. Mm-hmm. But it also tells the city, hey, there's a lot of people who ride bikes. So all the infrastructure change has been going on. A lot of times they'll say, well, there's no one that does this. Mm-hmm. I think hide and go bike has changed the tide and some of that thinking because they see, wow, there's a ton of people who would ride a bike if it was safe to. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I know, I don't think it was ever the intention, but it's become almost a like political movement. Like it is. Critical mass. Yeah. I don't think it was the intention because we had the interview we did with Danny. Yeah. And he talked about like, that's kind of become a consideration now. But before it was just a matter of, like he said, the number one thing always, have fun. Yeah. That's the only thing he really ever wanted to do, and it's turned into this thing that's now, I think, has the possibility of having some other effects, whether it's intentional or not, in a positive way. Yeah. I know um, Hide and Go Bike was up for, like, community awards and everything. In the I thought that event was supposed to happen at some point. It was, like, um, a, in the I running. I think it's in the, like, first week of February or something okay. is the actual running, um, or is the actual kind of announcement. Um, but, yeah, it's it's... A, insane to me how much power that it really has mm-hmm. and how big it's grown that we're seeing 150 plus weekly if it was you know monthly and we saw 100 150 i'd be like okay it's understandable but that over 100 150 people are going out every single thursday to ride their bike that's that's powerful i think the other thing that has kind of clicked for me with that whole ride kind of kind of like obviously i'm a huge fan of hide and go bike is there's more people who ride to the ride than drive to the ride, mm-hmm. right? Because there's only so much parking around Mesta Park where they start from. And then even that's full. Mm-hmm. Like the streets aren't completely aligned with cars that came with bikes. Most people live in that area mm-hmm. and ride to the ride. Yeah. Which I just think is just another sign that people are learning to, to be a, find that Oklahoma City can be rideable. It's just a matter of like knowing their way and feeling encouraged to do it and the advocacy to make sure it's, it's – and that's where we met. Yeah. We had a good, like, I, that met you first time. I, I don't remember it. <laughs> that happens on a hide and go bike. <laughs> that happens on a hide and go bike. But the second time I met you, I definitely remember it. Yeah. And you came by the shop to check it out. So I loved your, uh, when you described one time you walked into the shop. When you first walked in, it was kind of like, it felt like it was a pricey, high-end shop. Yeah. Yeah. So, but how, when did it start to shift for you? And your perception of the bike life from being kind of a high-end shop is something you might find a connection with. Um, pretty quickly. Whenever I first walked in, it's a very pretty shop. Um, I mean, people say it all the time when they walk in here. They're like, wow, this is a really nice shop. And every shop I've ever worked at was just mostly kind of hole in the wall, the cracked up cement floors yeah. stained up with yeah. oil and lube and stuff hanging from the ceiling yeah like it's, just, like, it's a rough shop environment yeah. and i came in here and you know real pretty glass windows in front really nice um kind of set up there's some nice amenities that we have here um you know i see like the computer system and all that we have mm-hmm. is 
fairly up to date, whereas yeah. most bike shops don't have that. We yeah. a lot of the shops worked at, we didn't have a computer system. Yeah, we still had a paper inventory. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was just like, wow, this is really nice. And I saw the you know expensive Villiers and S Works bikes, and I'm like, okay, like this is really nice. I it seems that they cater to a kind of high end road community. Um, and I was like, and I don't know if that's for me because I like yeah. the high end road stuff. But like I'm, I really like the you know, like the co-op, the grassroots, just kind of well, yeah, uh, vibe from shops, which we at Bike Lab, I realize, do provide. Yeah, um, they say we came in and immediately you were just like, oh, you know, welcome to Bike Lab. Let me show you all these cool things we have. Hey, can I grab you a beer? You know, mm-hmm. hey, sit down and hang out and let's just talk. Yeah, it was a Friday uh, happy hour, happy hour time. Yeah, and I was like, okay, so. That's cool. Yeah. You know, it's very inviting and welcoming to people because, heck, even if I wasn't going in there looking at a bike, I just wanted to come in and hang out. It's, hey, you're welcome to come yeah. in and hang out and get to know us. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not a cyclist, you just want to come and hang out. It's yeah. a place to do it. With some of our motorcycle <clears throat> buddies who weren't at first and now have become cyclists, became cyclists just from hanging out and having a beer at happy hour. Yeah. And I like that vibe because at the end of the day, I want to get more people on bikes. Yeah. Um, I love riding bikes. I realize what it's done for my life and I know what it could do for others. And then just getting more people on bikes. Hey, it's more friends to ride with. It's yeah. more voices in the community for better cycling infrastructure and a future in that. Yeah. So I just want to get more people on bikes and I feel like it's lines up with the shop's values that mm-hmm. we just want to get people on bikes. It doesn't have to be the nicest high end road bike. Right. And like you've said, we've both said before, uh, is a good bike is whatever bike that gets you out riding right right and that's that's the thing like we work really hard because it's easy when you're working in a bike shop environment to see at different levels of bikes and i can say early in our history we'd see a bike and we wouldn't say to the customer but when they walked out we would say well i'm polishing a turd (laughs) right and because it's not the nicest bike but to that person there's this personal connection that happens with your bike that it's the per- it's it's the thing journeying with you. It's getting you where you're going. It's that opening the door to the freedom of running a bicycle. And it doesn't matter if it works great or not, or it looks good or not. That's your bike. Mm-hmm. And I, I I really ran into that a lot at hide and go bike too, where somebody had the Walmart bike of their mom's that they had pulled out, and they were riding it. And the fact that it worked to help them go to hide and go bike, it was now like one of their favorite things in their life. Exactly. And the seat could be like whack. Tires could be half flat. It didn't matter. It worked enough to give them that experience. And now that's their favorite bike. So why would we ever talk shit about someone's favorite bike? Exactly. Right? A good so bike is whatever gets you right. Whatever gets you right. So, um, but we do have some nice, we're a candy store. We're a yeah. candy shop, right? But yeah. but we try, to, we, we try to have all levels of that too. I, I've been really excited about the new brands we brought in with Surly and, and All City and Salsa even having bikes that are, about the participation of cycling, not necessarily the racing or performance of cycling. Now, yeah. they all perform in a certain way, um, but I've been kind of geeking out on on all those styles of bikes. Now, you have a, a love affair with your first bike, you say. Mm-hmm. That got you into, not the BMX. Yeah, my first non-BMX bike. Your first non-BMX. Talk to us about that bike. How, how'd you find it, first of all? How'd you get it? Um, It was in a trash pile on the side of the road. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I love it. I saw it, and I was riding my BMX bike by. I was coming back from a friend's house. Mm-hmm. We are riding in my neighborhood, and I saw it, and I was like, oh. So I stopped, and I 
looked at it and I saw that it was pretty close to my size and everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, that's cool. So I picked it up out of the trash, trash and I rode home towing it, you know, like by, yeah, yeah. Um, I put like new tires and a chain on it and rode it like that and, you know, kept, it was old. It's a 1983. It was all original, even tires. So I just started. It's a, it's a what, what's the name of it? Uh, it's a Western Flyer Crown Supreme. So it's yeah. a Western auto parts store, just mail order bikes. So nothing special. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's but, been durable enough to last till now. Yeah. It's four was, years old. Yeah. And like I say, I put, I replaced basically everything on it one at a time. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of taught me a little bit about parts compatibilities, different wheel sizes, all yeah. that stuff. Um, and just kind of made me really fall in love with riding because it was like, okay, I, I built this bike myself. Yeah. Um, I saw what it was and I put these nicer parts on and I see what it is now. And it just, I liked that growth and I fell in love with riding. Um, that was my bike that I commuted on to work I, mm. in, you know, rain, whatever. Um, used that for my weekend bike whenever we'd go down to New Orleans, go spend a week or two in New Orleans for Mardi Gras. That's how I got around. Yeah. So. Uh, it's, it's been a fun bike. And you take been... care of it. I remember the first time you, it has the kickstand, right? Still has the original so, kickstand. Which is amazing. I love it's it. like the only original part still on it. <laughs> it on that. The kickstand's in there. Yeah. Besides the frame. Yeah. Yeah. But when you first brought by, I was like, man, this is a sharp, I, right away you're drawn to like, it's a good looking bike. Yeah. That's, I was drawn to it because I saw is the black and gold. Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm a big Saints fan. Yeah. From New Orleans. And I saw that and I was like, wow, I want it. So I kept... You know, building it up, trying to keep it like original look, you know, the polished silver parts and yeah. whatnot. Um, and every time I'd go ride that in New Orleans, people are always like, man, that's a sharp Saints bike. People, <laughs> I've had it like, right away. I give you, I give you four or 500 for right now. And I'm like, ah, I can, no, which I, I would have lost money on because I put a lot of money well, on yeah. it. But I was like, hey, there's not a dollar amount you could give me for <laughs> this thing. Just yeah. the sentimental values there. And going back to your earlier point, like, I had shops when I first moved to New Orleans. I went in before I started working at GNO. I went to a few different shops just to kind of feel them out. Mm-hmm. And I brought, I rode the bike there and was like, hey, had little things like, hey, can I get a, you know, a derailleur adjustment or can, can you tune my front brake for me or hey, can you uh, put rivets in for bottle cage things just to see how the different shops operated? And they had a few that were just, why? <laughs> this thing's 40 years old. It's a piece of junk. Why do you want to do that? Because it's my bike. It's my bike. Yeah. Like, what is a piece of it's junk? Not your use. bike. Someone's, you know, pride and joy. Absolutely. Um, and then I went into GNO and I was like, yeah, I just went uh, to get the rivets put in for bottle cage because it had the holes drilled but no rivet in it. And the guy working there was like, dude, this thing's sweet. Yeah, come on, let, let me throw them in for you. Yeah. Put them in on the spot. Told me it was a cool bike and that he liked, you know, how it looked in the direction I was going yeah. with it. And. That's when I was like, hey, man, I'm honestly, you know, I've worked in shops for a while or, or y'all need any help. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, come in tomorrow and build some bikes and see how it, uh, see how familiar. you did her. Yeah. <laughs> that's the general bike shop job interview. Well, because that's like you came in on that happy hour and we talked about needing some help with bikes because we had a bunch of bike <laughs> shipments come in. I said, hey, <laughs> you want to come in tomorrow and help build bikes? I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can. I can do that. <laughs> I can build some bikes and do some things. Uh, Yeah. So we, you and I both are doing an event oh, soon. boy. And they're going to hear this podcast probably just before we go. We're going to the Rule of 399 in Bentonville, which is the precursor event to the Rule of Three in May. And it's 
park gravel, park tarmac, park single track. Um, we're going to talk about the bikes we've chosen. What is your bike? It's my 1986 Bridgestone MB2. Uh, and you, you've done some changes to it to outfit it for World of Three. So what are some changes that you've made to it? Um, went to a 10-speed derailleur in the rear. So I'm running a 3x10, mm-hmm. 11 to 36 in the back. Um, I got some Gravel King 26 by 21 tires, put some super wide salsa cow chipper drop bars. And oh, yeah. Some brake hoods with Dura Ace bar end shifters. Um, Say, so got the new Velo Orange brake kit, which is the worst choice for a rule of free. Uh, they look great. <laughs> they look they great. don't stop good. <laughs> so, and I knew that when I bought them. I bought them for style points, not for style point. points. Aesthetics, yes. Yeah. Aesthetics. Beauty you're bringing, you're bringing the 40-year-old the bike to do Rule of Three on. I wonder if anyone else is going to be on a bike that's that, that has that legacy to it. Um, I don't know. I've been watching a lot of videos trying to see what to expect since I've never been, and I see a lot of, you know, five to $10,000 gravel bikes. Yeah. And honestly, that just makes me more excited for To ride it. your bike. Um, I'm going to be miserable, and I figure within the first mile, I'm going to ha- already have a lot of regret. Um, but I know it's going to be fun. I do have gears. You do have gears, though. Yeah, I still need to kind of tune them up and get it all right. I just haven't mm-hmm. really felt like we're looking that. at the temperature is going to be like a low of 18 and a high of 29. So I'm feeling like we're just going to be wearing like snowsuits yeah. or something. Because it's like the cycling stuff at some point kind of goes out the window and staying warm. For, it's a 35-mile ride that yeah. we're doing. And I'm, I'm using the uh, All City uh, Super Pro, which is a steel frame carbon fork, single speed. I'm going to go with a 42 by 20 gear and just whatever the, the WTB stock tires were that were on it. Um, we're going with Squirrel and Moppin and Sam. And Sam has his 26-inch uh, mountain bike, Raleigh. Right? Yeah, his Raleigh. Uh, 1994 Raleigh M40 that he mm-hmm. went to 1 by 10 conversion on yeah. and did a few little upgrades here and there. Mm-hmm. So, And uh, Squirrel has his surly karate monkey. He got off marketplace through an old rock shock suspension fork on it um it has a jones bar yeah the jones bar that's perfect for rule of three yeah and then uh moppin's on his new uh surly ogre that he has the kind of what are those shifters he has out in the end i can't it's not bar him but it looks like bar him but in the hook so they Almost are bar and shifters. Like I don't even know how They're you would describe it. But yes, yeah, so like the indexing is weird. So I think on the mountain bike trail, you might, you might struggle a little bit. <laughs> yeah, um, which I get. I was thinking I might even struggle a little bit with like the bar end shifter. But then compared to his, I might I think the access off. is a little nicer. Yeah. Although his, you can shift from the hoods. Yeah. Um, which me personally, whenever I'm riding mountain bike trails with drop bars, I always liked the hoods more than the drops or anything. Um, so he might, he might not be too uncomfortable riding that, uh, the brake shift lever combo that he has is, it's some, I've never seen that. I've never seen before either. I was, I was kind of blown away when I saw that. Like on road and gravel, I think it's okay, but we were out riding skip last Sunday and I'm like, how are you even shifting? (laughs) This thing is weird. (laughs) I, I still need to, I'm going to try and ride Sunday or Monday, Hmm. even though it's going to be cold. But it's gonna be it's gonna be cool at the event, right? Yeah. So, so it's a good prep because I still haven't ridden that Bridgestone since I've got it done for Rule of Free. I haven't really ridden that bike since I got it yeah. four or five years ago. Yeah. So I need to 
It's been a little bit of time. Get used to it, yeah. Well, the last thing I'll ask is when working at the bike lab, um, what's something that you think sets the bike lab apart from other options you've experienced, whether it's Baton Rouge or OKC? Um, I have a few things that come to mind. First, I would say is our, I guess, presence in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you do a lot for trying to be present and it's not even just for marketing and advertising purposes but just to be in the community Mm -hmm. uh, to provide uh, a service to the community both through the bike shop but also just educating people about rides um, different routes even you know like giving people training advice and stuff Mm -hmm. uh, whenever they come in so I'd say what really sets us apart is just our community involvement. Mm. Um, we have a very busy schedule here yeah. at the bike lab. Just anytime there's a cycling event within the, you know, immediate area, we're generally, you know, working overtime to do what we can to provide uh, for the community. And I like that a lot because I've worked in shops where we were just a bike shop and we never represented our shop outside of the brick and mortar location. Mm. Um, so it was just, you know, go to work, go home, and that's it. Whereas this, I get to go home and kind of not, I wouldn't say bring my home, bring my work home with me, um, but I get to kind of represent the bike lab out at, you know, in the community after work on weekends and things. And I'm proud to do that. Yeah. Uh, because it's, like I say, I know that we're doing our best to be in the community and be present and provide a good service for the cycling community and not even just the cycling community, but the community in general. In general. Yeah. So I've really, really enjoyed that. Cool. Awesome. Well, Zach, thank you for spending some time with us, everyone. This is your chance to meet Zach, one of our newest members here at the bike lab. Uh, We will religiously be on the hide and go bike rides as well as a little bit of mountain biking, a little bit of world three and freeing. We'll at least start those events. I will. I, I said I will do finish. whatever I have to to finish. finish. <laughs> I'll do whatever I have to to finish that one. <laughs> but uh, thank you for spending some time with us, Zach. And uh, everyone, uh, come by, say hi to Zach, give him a high five. And again, if you have anything, anything, any kind of bike, uh, high end to low end, Zach has experience working on it and, and gets pretty excited about riding bikes and helping people get out there riding. So uh, be ready for our next interview coming out next week with our general manager, Rusty.